You're listening to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast, the leading source of daily news and insight for family law practitioners in England and Wales. Sign up to our free weekly newsletter at todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk and subscribe to hear all the latest news and views from across the family law sector. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello, welcome along to the latest Today's Family Lawyer podcast. Today I'm joined by Richard Port. Richard is a partner at George Green Solicitors and probably best known, particularly on social media, for his firm and assertive way in which he portrays his work as a domestic abuse family lawyer. Richard, thank you very much indeed for joining the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I think it's the first time we've ever had somebody on the podcast with an MBE. So this is a first for me. And you were saying it's your first podcast as well. It is. Yeah, it is. It's the first time I've ever done a podcast. So be easy on me, David. It's very straightforward, the first question. Very easy. I always ask people to tell us a little bit about yourself in the first instance. And then I guess really kind of just to go into a little bit about what a typical day for you looks like in your role. So over to you. Tell us about yourself, Richard. Um, so my family partner at George Green Solicitors, we're based in the West Midlands. Uh, I'm also a Deputy Vice President of Birmingham Law Society. I work with Heart of England uh, Community Foundation Charities, a trustee, um, and I work closely with the refugees up and around the country. Um, I think a lot of people ask me where I get the time to kind of do all of this, and I honestly don't know. Um, but I, I work closely with the refugees. My, my big passion is, is helping advocating for domestic abuse victims. Um, and I've been doing it for years. I've been doing it since I was a trainee. Um, and it's just kind of evolved from there, really. Um, I think it's just, I was doing it to start off with thinking that was the norm for solicitors to kind of work directly with refugees. Um, and as they kind of expanded or gone to different refugees, my network and um, helping others has expanded as well. And then I realised it wasn't the norm. Uh, and actually, family lawyers didn't kind of speak to say domestic abuse organizations on a daily basis and have a kind of a hotline for them so i, I just enjoy doing it. i enjoy helping others um and i just enjoy kind of making sure that those that have been bullied controlled abused they, they've got the right representation and, and they're not scared and a lot of people ask me kind of why do you do it why do you, why do you spend so much time and dedication to it because I, I can't really stand to think that someone's kind of scared or worried about what they can do. Um, so I'm, I'm just there on the other end of the line just to make sure they've got that guidance and that representation. Listeners to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast will be aware that we have a couple of other publications, one in conveyancing, one in wills and probate. I always describe each of the practitioners in those areas as being quite different animals, really. They're, you're, you're really yeah. interesting. There's a real calling in family though as you say you feel really passionate about this and and access to justice yes yeah massively and, and again i i think i've met some of the people like me um and i've met some people that kind of say they're experts in domestic abuse but actually it's it's kind of more of a gimmick um it's more of a pr kind of thing to say well we do domestic abuse work and therefore we're experts but I think from where I come from, it's kind of actions speak louder than words. Um, so 
again, from speaking with the refugees on a, on a weekly basis, from kind of getting involved with them and making sure that they've got the guidance, they've got the help. Um, the way I kind of put it to the refugees and the domestic abuse organisations is they're, they're the keeper of the keys. Um, they give these referrals to legal aid firms. Uh, some legal aid firms take it for granted um, and some kind of uh, make sure that they are being looked at. And it's those legal aid firms and those other, other solicitors firms that I think are key in ensuring that victims get the right representation and that the right push forward and, that, and that's what it is it's, it's representation it's the right advice it's the honest advice uh, and it's making sure that we we kind of stand our ground to ensure that victims are properly represented in proceedings so tell us about a typical day what's a typical day for richard port look like um it's not boring um that's for sure um i can't i can't honestly say to you when i've ever, ever had a boring day doing this job um but there's no kind of typical day there's no kind of there's no set pattern i, I don't come into the office and it's well this 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 and this um it just depends really it depends on what what's happened i do quite a few emergency applications um i deal with quite a lot of child arrangements and, and matrimonial finance cases it just depends on what a client needs. At the minute, I'm quite doing a lot of, say, articles and pushing out the agenda to help victims of domestic abuse. Um, I'm just looking for ways, trying to get the support from others uh, to ensure that victims are, are represented and victims are heard. Do you think that we're starting to get to grips with what domestic abuse looks like? Because there's all sorts of different types of domestic abuse and there are cultural challenges, there are historical challenges, you know, what, what might be considered domestic abuse now in the 60s, 70s, 80s perhaps would have been considered the norm. Are we getting to grips with that challenge? I think we are, um, but slowly and surely. Um, I, I think my only concern is we, we've, we've made that vast jump from the 60s um, we, we've again instead of calling it domestic violence it's domestic abuse because we know for well it's not just uh, a physical violence that is domestic abuse there's there's controlling coercive behavior there's financial abuse there's sexual abuse again it, we, we we understand that but my only worry is that when we take two steps forward we take a step back um i think for example in lockdown domestic abuse was was the big topic to talk about um, and I was really glad when it became kind of a topic to talk about and it wasn't a taboo because I think that's the issue that we have. Domestic abuse is a taboo subject. It's it's not the nicest of subjects to talk about. Um, it's not something that, that victims want to talk about and it's not something that the, the, the government wants to raise as an issue that's, that's ripe in our society and nor is it kind of conversation piece that you go to a dinner party because trust me I, I'm aware of that. <laughs> I've been to, to events and they say to you, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a, I'm a family lawyer that specialises in domestic abuse. Oh, oh, nice. The weather's terrible, isn't it? It's really bad. It's raining outside. Um, I think we've, we've made that big jump. There's more to do. Um, like I say, the, with lockdown, we, we spoke about it. It was brilliant. And then as soon as lockdown finished, we, we kind of back to not speaking about it and not raising it enough. And I think that's where I differ because I'm I'm there shouting from my soapbox saying we need to talk about it more. It's not a taboo subject because once you make it a taboo subject, that's when victims don't want to speak out about it because they feel embarrassed. They feel that this is a normalised behaviour to be in a relationship that's toxic like that, that they're in. 
Um, and again, once we, we start having that open conversation, that's when more victims will, will, will come forward. I think the other issue we've got is with, with the tabloids, and I, I've raised problems with it just recently, it's kind of justifying abuse. So we've just had the World Cup in Qatar, and every kind of tabloid is saying domestic abuse increases because of the World Cup. It does not increase because of the World Cup. There might be more victims that come forward during the World Cup because there's an incident that takes place, but perpetrators don't just jump out of thin air. It's not just a all of a sudden the World Cup's happened, they've had a bit to drink. That, that's like blaming alcohol for domestic abuse or blaming football for domestic abuse. That's not the case. So I think we just need to have more of an open conversation and we need to not make it a taboo anymore. It needs to be something that we can all come forward with if we suffer from that abuse. I said at the beginning, you have a very firm and assertive language around this, Richard. I think we're really getting that in the first part of this podcast as well. Is it a conscious choice on your part to to be so assertive around it? You make me sound like Ross Kemp. Uh, Ross Kemp on gangs. Um, <laughs> I think the, the, the problem with domestic abuse and representing clients um, with, in that regard is that you can't be meek and mild. You can't kind of just stand back because, again, my pet hate in the world is bullies. Um, and I think a firm and assertive, I think that's I think that's one step below hostile and aggressive. And I'm, I, I'm definitely not hostile and aggressive. I think firm and assertive clients need that and victims need that because they've had years of abuse and controlling behaviour by their, their perpetrator. And if they had a solicitor that's meek and mild, the perpetrator would have them running around in circles. I don't think it's a conscious choice. I think that's the kind of way that I am. But I think it's I think it's just the passion that I have for representing victims. Um, but again, I think that's why I'm I'm good at what I do because I, I don't allow, say, perpetrators to to run away with a case or to control my client any any further. The the issue you have with perpetrators is they think they're gods or goddesses and they're untouchable, and that's not the case in any shape or form. You, what you have to make sure is that you you are staying in control of the case because a perpetrator will have you going down a rabbit hole, will have them sending you email after email after email to try and put a bit of pressure or put a financial pressure on, on your client. And that's where you have to be clever about it. You have to be smart because you can be a perpetrator who believes they're a god, goddess, um, hostile and aggressive, controlling and coercive but if you kind of fight fire with fire that's never going to work um, you have to take the calm approach um, and you have to make sure that your clients are properly looked after and they they feel they can trust you in that regard because they know for well that you've dealt with people like this before um, and, and I have I've, I've spent years dealing with difficult people um, with, with perpetrators I'm used to it I, I know what they're like and that's the sad, sad state of affair because perpetrators believe they're the, the only ones in these, the world that will do a certain thing or say a certain thing or try and do a dirty trick. Um, and they're not at all. It's, it's part and parcel. It's happened before. It's carbon copy. And I, I know full well what they're going to do. And I just did do whatever needs to, to, to tackle it.
This is honing a skill, isn't it? So as you've identified, if you fight fire with fire, you're only going to get into a, a very hostile oh, and, and yeah, confrontational absolutely. scenario. And, and in particular, you're obviously dealing with antagonised people. You're dealing with people who've, who've been victims of abuse. There's a big part of your role that is counselling, for want of a better word. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say counselling because I'm not a counsellor. I'm not trained to do that. Um, what I do is if I get clients who are upset, they're scared and worried. I'm empathetic. I think that's the difference between me and others. Um, a lot of clients come in and they feel judged by by solicitors. I don't judge. I say they know I've dealt with cases like this before. They know I understand the issues that they face. And clients will say sorry to me about things if, if something becomes difficult they'll apologize to me and i'll say you don't ever need to apologize you don't need to apologize to anyone it's not your fault it's in the day it's not your fault in your position um you don't have ever have to say sorry again for for their behavior um so if, if i do have a client who is really upset and needs help the beauty of it is that i have the network to be able to pass them on to uh, refugees or to counsellors. I'm there to ensure that the legal case is properly represented uh, and, and that they have the proper advice and support in that regard. But again, I, I can't do counselling and ethically, I can't do counselling. So I'm really grateful for the contacts that I have um, because they do give them that counselling and that support uh, via the domestic abuse organisations. And that's what, what clients need. They've, they've had years of abuse in, in some circumstances and some ways programmed to accept that abuse. Um, I've worked with, say, organisations um, who have dealt with what's called a freedom programme. Um, and that's I think they've developed that to different kind of projects now. But years ago, when I was dealing with the Freedom Programme, it was kind of eye opening um, because it, it so the Freedom Programme is a, is a book written by Pat Craven. And she uh, kind of, she worked in a male, male prison and saw the perpetrators and they were boasting about what they did to the partners and, and passing on tips to each other. So she kind of created uh, the different types of uh, perpetrators and what, what tactics they use. So a lot of the domestic abuse organisations talk to their victims uh, and the service users about the abuse. And it, once you read the book, you, you don't realise some of the tactics that they use and some of the things that, that happen. Um, but that's been useful because, again, a lot of, say, clients that I have know there's abuse but don't really understand how far the abuse is going until they've had that work with counsellors and with domestic abuse organisations. Um, I, I think my main goal at the end of this is to make sure the cycle stops. The client comes to me, I deal with their legal case and I ensure that the bully knows that this, my client's never going to be bullied ever again. Um, but then the other work that goes on in the background is to make sure that the client feels strong at the end of the case and they won't accept bullying from the perpetrator or anyone else in the future. One of the things that strikes me is that family law is a really challenging area to practice in, particularly domestic abuse, because of what you come across and the, the scenarios that play out daily in, 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 your, in your working life. Do you feel as though that impacts you outside of the office? I wouldn't say so. I, I say I've, I've been doing this for years um, and I think the, the problem you, you would face 
is that they are very serious issues and very, say, you say harrowing issues that, are, that on a daily basis. But I think you just have to kind of find the light at the end of the tunnel. I think if I, if I didn't have say, the, the attitude that I had or the personality I had for dealing with these cases, I, I think I would have stopped years ago because it, it does it does get dark um and it does get kind of daunting with the problems but you you kind of pick yourself up um i've spent years say dealing with very serious cases and i know there's a light in the tunnel i know there's there's, there's that end point for clients um and I, I tell clients that on a daily basis because again their mental health is is drastically affected by it and i just say there's a light in the tunnel this isn't this isn't the end coming to court first hearing this isn't this isn't the end we, we've got a long way and I need you to pick yourself up um, and again having that guidance and that support helps them with me in particular I think the way I, I do it is I have got that kind of optimism in in helping others and I, and I think that's what drives me I think that's that's kind of my big thing I think when other people have told me that this is a kind of a lost cause and why are you helping victims of domestic abuse I'm just ignore it um because that there is there is a light in the tunnel there is a reason why I do this and it's to help others and, and that keeps me going that kind of that's the reason why I get up in the morning and do what I do um so mental health wise I think I've got family, I've got friends, I've got amazing colleagues at George Green who are really supportive of helping victims of domestic abuse. Once you've got that optimism and once you've got that, that support, then whatever a perpetrator sends and whatever problems that clients face is no longer a problem. Um, and I'm there to support clients. My, my, my big thing is that I'm their rock. Um, and that's why people come to me. They, they want that rock. They want that uh, representation. Um, and I think if I got emotional, had any lasting effects, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing my job properly. I could see how junior lawyers um, could be affected by this. Um, and I was really glad to, to see the guidance that President McFarlane gave during lockdown. Um, but again, it, it's just making sure that we, we stick with it. Um, because burnout is a massive problem that the, that the profession faces and you could just work and work and work um, but you, you've got to have you've got to have both sides of the coin you've got to have that work life and you've got to have that home life because unless you have those both sides you just merge into one and it's not really an existence just working all the time there's got to be a reason why you work um, and there's got to be uh, say your own personal things that keep you going. It would be remiss of us to talk about domestic abuse without talking about the challenges that you face with funding. You've mentioned the fact, you've mentioned legal aid, you know, that's a, a well-documented issue. You've talked about the refugees that you're uh, involved with and connected to. Again, they face massive funding issues. What needs to change? How can we get better representation, fairer representation? How can we make more funding available in this space? Funding is a problem and that's the big topic about funding, about trying to get the fundings to the, to the domestic abuse organisations, to the police, etc. But even when we do mention funding, I don't think it's going to the proper organisations. In lockdown, again, when, when it wasn't taboo to speak about domestic abuse, it was said that um, the government was giving funding out to different organisations to help. 
And I thought, happy days. This is amazing. We The, the organisation is going to get the, the support they need. They're going to get the resources. They're going to be able to tackle the fact that, that victims are coming out now. They feel safe to come out because, again, with lockdown, many victims were stuck in with their perpetrators. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't in the sense that new victims were coming out, but it was just existing domestic abuse that was happening and it kind of boiled to, to the top. But when I spoke to, to organisations after this so-called funding had been given, there was no change. They were still struggling. They hadn't got the funding and they hadn't got the support. So I think if funding is given, it needs to be properly handed out to where it's needed. Um, and it needs to be kind of accounted for as to where the funding's gone to, to, to help the victims. And I think with the police, um, I know with the domestic abuse bill, there's, there's new training now with the police trying to ensure that um, there's something called a, a DVPO and DVPN. So that's a domestic violence protection order and domestic violence protection notice. I've only seen three of those in my career and I, I deal with domestic abuse cases on a, on a daily basis. And it's not because they, they can't be used. It's because police haven't got the proper training to use and they don't they don't feel comfortable using these orders or notices um, and handing them out. And, and that's the problem. It's making sure that we don't just do a bit of training with police, a bit of training with domestic abuse organisations or do a few campaigns for victims to come out. We need to make sure that this is top of the agenda. This is again, this is an important piece that proper resources and fundings are being given to, proper training is being given on an, on an annual basis, and it's being reviewed that actually police understand what they can do, what their powers are. The courts can understand what their powers are, because again, I've been on cases with judges where I'm having to tell them, well, look, you can't do this because you haven't got all this information about the, uh, the allegations of abuse, or this person's been convicted, so in essence, you should be going on that conviction. Um, so again, it's just making sure we account for where this funding and resources have gone to. Um, but I think I just think the big issue is we need to get rid of the stigma for domestic abuse because there's this massive stigma uh, that um, victims um, come from a lower lower class background, um, and that's not the case at all. Victims come from all walks of life. They could be CEOs, they could be doctors, they could be lawyers, they can be dog walkers, anyone. Um, and until we get rid of that stigma, until we kind of show that this happens nationally with different people from different backgrounds, cultures, races, genders, etc., then we're never going to be able to tackle the problem. And, and I think that the tabloids need to, to help on that. They need to try and push forward the issues that, that people face and, and I think again like I said training needs to be done and whether that's from the start because I, I know some organisations are actually going into schools and speaking with, with, with school children to discuss issues of domestic abuse in a child-friendly way but, but tackling it head-on at the start to say look this isn't acceptable. This is not acceptable behaviour. It's not normal. If you do face that behaviour, then you need to talk out about it. And I think I, I, I think that's amazing. I think starting from from the top and then working your way through to the to the courts is the way forward. We, we've got to kind of do a, a different prong, a, a multi pronged approach 
to ensure that we are tackling the issues of domestic abuse and we just need to support each other. We're all here trying to fight the same cause and we're all here to make sure that we can eradicate domestic abuse. Um, so hopefully we can. What's evident, Richard, is that there's a real passion behind what you're trying to achieve. And as you say, it's a multi-pronged approach. Uh, you're certainly not going to do it single-handedly, although you're making a, a pretty good fist of it. And I know that outside of what you're doing in in family law, you've got a, a lot of sort of extracurricular things that you're very heavily engaged in as well. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Deputy Vice President of the Law Society. Um, I was asked by the previous president just to put my name in the hat. Uh, it was quite a bit daunting. I could say probably about a year, two years ago, I, I, I wasn't well known. Uh, I've been doing this work for years. Um, and all of a sudden I came out from under the rock um, and it kind of it kind of dawned on me when, when I got my MBE that the work I've been I have been doing is not normal. It's not standard. And I have been pushing and, and making sure this changes. And I thought to myself, well, what's the next step? Um, and the next step was trying to make sure that, say, with the Birmingham area and the West Midlands, is trying to trying to make a change that way, and and pushing the the agenda to help victims and to help those who need it um, further by getting the members to to support that 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 campaign. So I, I'm I work closely with the president Tony McDade, the vice president Alice Kinder. And again, it's just a brilliant organisation. Um, the, the changes that we're trying to push um, and, and the support we've been getting from members is, has, been, has, been, has been great. Um, I also got appointed as a trustee to the Heart of England Community Foundation. Um, and I've been working closely with Tina Costello. And Tina is, is just, I think amazing would be kind of undervaluing Tina. Um, and the rest of the team at Heart of England, the, the, the work that they do um, in helping charities and providing uh, grants and funding, um, it's been it's been outstanding. Um, and I, I was asked to join um, and I thought to myself, this is amazing. Um, the, the work that's been done and the support that I could give them to carry on with the great work, it's been really rewarding. Um, and I've kind of wanted to push out to help the community to help those who who need it um and just carry on the work that i've been doing not just to help victims of domestic abuse but to help out the whole the whole community altogether um and yeah it, it, again it's another kind of string to my bow in the sense of why i do what i do and why i get up in the morning to 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 push and to campaign for those who who need need a voice Richard, we've run out of time. It's been an absolute delight to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much no, for thank you very much. joining. Thank you. The Today's Family Lawyer podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk. My thanks to Richard. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon. You're listening to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast, the leading source of daily news and insight for family law practitioners in England and Wales. Sign up to our free weekly newsletter at todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk and subscribe to hear all the latest news and views from across the family law sector. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.